0: This is the Cleveland Outpost podcast. It's a place to talk about the ways that we get outside in the face of adversity. It's about celebrating the micro-adventures and telling stories of the big ones. It's also a place for the Cleveland outdoors scene to come together. The Cleveland Outpost is Northeast Ohio's first permanent brick-and-mortar gear exchange. We're building something that's truly awesome, and we'd love it if you'd be along with us as it comes to life. You can visit our website at clevelandoutpost.com, and from there, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram.
1: We're running a crowdfunding campaign right now to help us with opening our doors. We just hit $1,000, and we're stoked. But the more we raise, the more opportunities we'll have for instruction, trips, and incorporating sustainability into what we do. Your help could make all the difference. Please check out our website, scroll down a little, and you'll see the text for how to give to our campaign.
0: That's who we are. But the Cleveland Outpost podcast is all about stories and getting outside. We're not here to regale you with stories about climbing mountains in the Himalayas. Okay, well, uh, we might get to some of those stories too, but...
1: We're going to start right here in the Midwest. And at the time we're recording this, the whole Cleveland Outpost crew is quarantined inside. It's weird. COVID-19 has shaken the entire outdoor industry. Climbing gyms are closed, our favorite trails are flooded with people, which is kind of the opposite of what we need right now, but also kind of right.
0: So if you're listening from the future, first, hello, how's your Tesla, how's Mars? But also, please send help. This is not easy. Wrestling with what is right and wrong is hard. The world is waking up outside, there is sunshine and temperatures that aren't awful and waiting around every corner could be a virus that is dangerous to the human race as a whole. We're in survival mode. We're not looking at our average day, our finances, or our plans in the same way. Maybe we never will again. So future people, tell me, is it gonna be okay? I like to think it will, that we'll push through this epidemic and start the slow process of rebuilding some of what we had and dismantling the bits that didn't work. In these hard times, When we can't look forward with any certainty, let's look back to one of the most defining chapters of my life, where I learned a lot of the values that I still hold to this day, my through hike of the Appalachian Trail. Now, the next bit of this podcast is a story about my four months with limited showers and a a lot of dirt and sunshine. I slept in tents, wooden shelters, I made friends and questionable decisions, and a lot of memories. I hope That this story helps you with dealing with some of the anxieties of being trapped indoors right now. And future people? I think you'll like it too. A quick update, just in case it ends up being my last for the day. Um, I'm about to start a 2,000 foot climb um, after already having done probably like 22 miles. It's probably the largest single climb I've done this late in a day ever. So um, on the plus side, I cleared mile 800 just a little back. And uh, we'll have cleared, theoretically tomorrow, 100 miles in four days. So benchmarks, milestones, whatever. Whew. As I laid there in a deserted shelter on the backside of some Virginia mountain whose name wasn't worth remembering, I thought to myself how far I'd come. Literally, in that i traveled over 1,000 miles on foot, Crossing three state lines, and metaphorically, in that it was a dark, stormy night, a spooky hollow without another hiker in sight, and all I felt was peace. For one of the first times in my life, I wasn't scared, and I felt that I was exactly where I belonged, even though I had no idea where I was. The story of my thru-hike on the Appalachian Trail begins a long time before my first steps on it in the March of 2016. It began in October of 1921 when an article was published and distributed by the Journal of the American Institute for Architects called An Appalachian Trail, A Project in Regional Planning. The man who penned this article was called Benton Mackay. The history of the Appalachian Trail is a long and fascinating one. It has at least one movie's worth of material and characters, such as Myron Avery, who usurped Mackay to take on the completion of the trail's construction, to Grandma Gatewood, who was the first woman to through-hike the trail in 1955 at the age of 67. By the way, she wore keds and used a shower curtain for a rain jacket. She was the original ultralighter. I've given a few presentations about the Appalachian Trail, and every subsequent telling includes a bit less of my journey and a bit more of the history that created it. I'm reminded by my partner, Hana, that there's no shame in recounting the journey, even if it seems like a dusty, faded memory that doesn't seem to fit in with my new self. The fact remains, though, that the Appalachian Trail forever changed me. It's the root and the reason for what I believe today. Beliefs in equality, in reaching your dreams, and never backing down from them. Respecting the journey, even if it comes with blood, mud, and sadness. The Appalachian Trail taught me everything I now know about myself. So let's go back down that trail one more time. This time with all the best and the worst details. The ones I never thought I'd tell. It was decidedly warmer than I thought it would be when my mom and dad dropped me off at a trailhead outside of Amicalola Falls State Park, Georgia. We stayed at the lodge the previous evening, which was this slightly elevated version of a holiday inn tucked into a rugged hillside. I would learn over the next couple months that my metropolitan tastes and aesthetic would have to become decidedly more southern. They did, but you can't take the Cleveland entirely out of the boy. Midwest as well was my mother's reaction to the bumpy road leading as close to the trailhead as possible to cut off the infamous uphill slog to the base of Springer Mountain from the Connector Trail next to the lodge. This was the first time I experienced the classic thru-hiker motto of No more miles than necessary. The miles before even touching the Appalachian Trail itself have caused many hikers to quit even before starting. After an argumentative ride in which I insisted our Mazda CX-5 was way more of an off-road vehicle than I knew it was, I said goodbye to my parents. I immediately befriended two northbound hikers who I chose to hike with for roughly 8 hours. These folks insisted on taking a safety meeting every couple of those hours, and I'd quickly learned that this is slang for smoking weed, which, as a frequent backpacker, I don't have a problem with, but I had a place to go and it was over 2,000 miles away and this pace was not gonna work. So I said my awkward goodbyes and I left. Which would become a fairly usual event over the next 4 months, but hey hike your own hike. That night I stayed at a shelter with 60 people at it. Whoa. Good morning. It is day three, still in the Blood Mountain Wilderness area, and I learned overnight that Blood Mountain is in fact the largest peak in all of Georgia. Thusly, a little daunted, but excited about today. Had a really nice night last night at Lance Creek Campground. Met a few new people hiking the same pace as me. Probably going to meet up with them back at Neil's Gap, or up at Neil's Gap, rather. That's my next stopping point for lunch. Might check in sooner, but otherwise, pretty excited. First mail drop. Georgia is a bit of a blur. I poured over Blood Mountain, which houses one of the first original stone shelters on the trail. I found it spooky, and being that I was mixed up with hundreds of thru-hikers in what's called the bubble, or the massive blob of hikers who all started around the same time, I thought I'd keep up the pace and try to walk away from the crowds. It worked. I blasted right through Georgia. My 178-pound, well, for reference, I now weigh 205, lean, muscular frame tore up those small mountains in the first 75 or so miles. The shape I was in at the moment reminds me of how powerful the human spirit can be when presented with a sense of purpose. Knowing I was about to embark on the biggest adventure of my life, alone, resulted in hours at the gym each night in order to give myself the best chance to success. My naivety was still there, though, and I found that having an insulated puffy jacket was too much considering the weather had been in the 80s the whole first week on trail— So I sent home my first batch of gear, including a solar charger, some medical supplies, and the aforementioned coat. I strolled into North Carolina, happy to be cutting the weight off my back. Then, of course, came the cold. My cell phone told me that the lows reached single digits one night after I ditched my warmest layer. Thankfully, my northern blood and a sleeping bag rated to 15 degrees helped me survive that night. The following day I walked through the snow and the sunshine, eager to make it to a place I had marked on the map, the Nantahala Outdoor Center. My hiking buddy scuba and I made the descent thousands of feet into the whitewater rafting mecca. This outfitter is so massive that it is world renowned for its hospitality and guiding services. I'd later return to the spot to receive my wilderness first responder certification. This is one of the first unique stays I'd recommend on the trail. A communal dining hall in the center of two bunk bedrooms is a place where travelers, rafters, staff, and thru-hikers alike all come to hang out, chat, and drink many, many beers. Our dinner was bought by a family that was sitting beside us in the on-campus restaurant. This was the first of many occasions I'd be on the receiving end of what's called trail magic. They say if you wish for it, it will never come. But if you don't expect it, the trail will always provide. The climb out of Nantahala was steep, and the road got even harder ahead. Sure, this wasn't the rocky terrain of Colorado or California, but these ascents are no joke. I didn't know whether to trust that I had my trail legs yet, so I didn't push too many miles. I remember walking out of Nantahala Gorge and discovering someone had left apples on a roadside picnic table. Hunger and dehydration are excellent motivators on the trail, and we devoured them without even a question asked. North Carolina wrapped up like a Shakespearean tragedy, with a foggy, rainy, and cold few days in what should have been the Smoky Mountains. I still haven't seen them to this day, really. It was somewhere between there and the start of Virginia that things became normal. Walking through frosted rhododendron bushes on 5,000-foot peaks became a completely normal thing. I stopped worrying if this day would be the day I face an obstacle too difficult for my body to overcome. I also stopped worrying so much about the weather, trusting my intuition and gear, and knowing that if I could simply get to the top of the next mountain, I'd have the brief respite of a downhill on the other side. This is a good point to pause and answer a question that gets asked of me very often. What does an average day on the Appalachian Trail look like? At around 6 or 7 a.m. I would wake up. It's not the kind of waking up you do at home. It's kind of like being jolted awake by the sounds of trees, birds, and the wind. Some people prefer to sleep in, but my strategy was to immediately stuff my sleeping bag, my cell phone charger, and other accessories promptly into my bag and commence to tearing down my tent. Now, because I know a lot of listeners might be gear-minded, I hiked with a Mountain Hardware Ghost UL2 tent, which weighed about two and a half pounds, and my sleeping bag, which was a Mystic UL from Big Agnes. Once out of my tent and reasonably packed up, I'd head over to the picnic table to start my breakfast. There are hundreds of shelters on the AT, spaced an average of 8 miles apart. They're all maintained for the most part by volunteers, and each state has a different style to them. The shelter, in my example, might have a single three-walled design and a flat floor, with a picnic table out front. That's what you'll see in some of the wilder parts of the trail, where it's difficult to maintain them. Near Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, I stayed at a shelter that had a solar shower, horseshoe pit, even an entire pavilion for eating and hanging out. Some hikers might make an elaborate breakfast, but I'd personally slam a protein bar or pop tart and hit the trail. It's not that I'm antisocial, but I've always felt that you're out there to hike and it genuinely brought me joy. Conversation for me was best spent around the campfire in the evening. The first few miles were always the hardest. Your feet were sore from the previous day, your joints ached, and the lactic acid had clearly built up in every spot in your body, including your eyeballs i deliberately keep an athlete's pace for the first few miles, maybe three and a half miles per hour, to try to loosen up. Some days you'd have to put in massive miles, others you wouldn't be so motivated. I'd recommend the strategy of 10 before 10 to try to put some distance between you and where you started. That's when you get up early to get at least 10 miles in before 10am rolls around. It's tough, but there's very little way you can not hit your goals if you do it. At around noon you'll start feeling pretty hungry. I'd usually find a stream and take the opportunity to slam another Snickers bar while filtering water. Another strong suggestion is investigating the best filter before you start your hike. Enough time spent frustrated with an antiquated pump filter around a mosquito-infested stream will convince you that simpler is better. I recommend the Sawyer Micro Squeeze. I wouldn't even take my pack off most days. I know that sounds crazy, and it is. But once you've achieved the kind of shape that the trail creates of you, you'll have the capacity to walk for about as many miles as you'd like, unless you're inhibited by uncomfortable gear. Most days I walk about 20 miles in total. As I'll go on to explain, I averaged closer to 30 in Virginia and closer to 18 in the New Hampshire and Maine regions. You'll likely see about 20 people most days and sometimes hundreds on holidays. Don't expect the AT to be a rugged, isolated wilderness trek where you'll need a gun to defend yourself from bears or wolverines or rabid orcs. It's a pilgrimage. The more you trust in your fellow man, the more you'll take from the experience. While I'm on the topic, it's important to note a tragedy that befell the AT last year, in 2019. One hiker was murdered and another seriously injured by a mentally ill man who attacked a group in the middle of the night. What happened was just that, a tragedy. The Appalachian Trail is, by a quick statistical analysis, one of the safest places you can hike. I am often approached by people who use this example of whether they should carry a firearm on the trail to defend themselves. My take on this is that fear has no place in the world of through hiking. Dangers are inherent, self-preservation is mostly risk management, and above all, the only way that the world becomes a safer, more loving, caring place it's through the trust and love in our fellow humans. I've had plenty of places and things I've been scared of in my life, and the AT certainly was one until it wasn't. It taught me a lot of things, and one of them is a little less fear, creates a little less violence, not the other way around. Returning to my average day, I'd make camp around 6 p.m., always at or around a shelter. I use shelters and their average spacing as landmarks for how my day is progressing. If the second shelter that day happened to be 25 miles away, that day I walked 25 miles. If it was 30, then that day was going to be a 30-mile day. I'd start earlier if I had to, but I detest night hiking, so all those miles had to be accomplished by dusk, which meant a quick pace that I became known for. The couple times I'd make camp, after dark, you're always pushing people aside to make room in the shelter or setting up your tent on poison ivy in the pitch blackness. Dinner usually consisted of a freeze-dried meal or ramen noodles. I never got too elaborate with my food. I'd save the good meals for towns. Towns. Towns are deliberately the best part of the trail, a part I did not expect to enjoy as much as I did. I hadn't been in too many towns from the point that we left off, only those municipalities which had some infrastructure near to the trail that try to lure hikers with beer, burgers, and showers. Franklin, North Carolina, Hot Springs, Damascus, Virginia. These are all trail towns that make dirty, smelly hikers feel welcome and make you feel accepted despite the fact that you smell like you haven't taken a shower in 10 days and often haven't. Damascus is the unofficial but official capital of the AT and it hosts Trail Days, a celebration of trail culture in May every year where the town of several hundred grows by tens of thousands for a festival. It's hard to imagine a more unique atmosphere. The towns along the trail mirror the American experience, with prices of hostel stays fluctuating hundreds of dollars as you progress further north. Until you hit Maine. Maine is awesome, and sort of a country in and of itself. Seriously, if you haven't been, you really should go. i drift off to sleep most days that I wasn't in town in one of the shelters. I didn't use my tent that much, partly because I was a loner for a lot of the trail. You'd share the shelters often with a few other folks. On rare occasions, I'd find myself sleeping alone. Those nights were both tranquil and a bit unsettling, as you were with your thoughts about what in the hell you were doing in the middle of the woods at night. I've always maintained that the biggest fear you'll have on the AT is existential questions. Thankfully, I've had a lot of experience battling my own thoughts and anxieties, and the next beautiful sight would snap me right back into why I loved being here. Anyway, onwards, through Virginia, home of the Virginia Blues. That's not a sports team. It's this dread that slowly creeps into your bones when you're walking over mountain and mountain and mountain and then the next, seemingly never reaching a big payoff, like a state line or a big town or anything that would allow you to check this 500-mile stretch off your list. I walked nearly 30 miles a day through this landscape just because that was the thing to do. I looked back on Virginia fondly. It has some of the most beautiful sights of the entire journey, but at this point, there's nowhere to go but north. So I laced up my Oslo Fugitive boots that would give me tendonitis in both my ankles and hobbled on to reach Harper's Ferry. Hello, long time no see. Well, we are entering into Harper's Ferry today and this sign commemorates the fact that I have finished what's called the roller coaster. The roller coaster is a stretch of about 13 miles of straight ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, downs, uh, puds as the thru-hikers call them, pointless ups and downs. But I wish I could say it was a fun ride, but it really, really wasn't. Um, The rain the last two days wetted my boots out completely, and my feet are destroyed because uh, I had to do all those ups and downs with completely flooded boots. So I was able to stay at a hostel last night uh, called the Bears Den run by the uh, PATC, the trail club around here, And it was a wonderful night. Got to uh, dry off all my clothes, and hence why everything looks a little bit cleaner today. Still waiting for this haze and fog to go away, but it's supposed to by the time I roll into Harper's Ferry, so fingers crossed in that. It's in this town that the ATC, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, has its headquarters. It's customary that you stop in and have a Polaroid taken to commemorate the occasion. My Polaroid is still there, under the trail name Gadget which was given to me because of all the silly hiking gadgets I brought along and then promptly sent home. I didn't linger long in town. My parents came to visit me and found my filthiness hilarious. We visited some nearby battlefields, then we said our goodbyes, and I entered the northern wilderness. To clarify, north of Harper's Ferry isn't wild at all, but it represented my first part of the trail that I hadn't planned for. I had spreadsheets of data for my first half, but I thought... If I reach the second half of the trail, I'll probably know what I'm doing by then, right? I was right, but plunging into the unresearched was a little daunting. Not to gloss over any important details, but I won't tell you much about the following few states. Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, they all had lovely elements to them, including deli-to-deli opportunities where once, maybe even twice a day, you could simply buy a sub-sandwich from a convenience store rather than carry a lot of food with you. It was great. The scenery was nice, and... It made for a lot of great Instagram-worthy shots, but the mid-Atlantic lowlands, as I called them, were a place for recovery. I walked 20 to 30 miles a day, ate a lot of Snickers bars, but the most important part of those states was discovering my trail family. Most people discover their trail family about midway on the trail. That is, the folks you are hiking with in southern Virginia, statistically speaking, probably won't finish the trail with you. Or at all. A slim number of the people that begin the trail finish it, and a lot never even make it more than 30 miles. There's a big tree with the shoes of folks who have quit or swapped their gear at Mountain Crossing's store in Georgia. Take a look online. It's both terrifying and fascinating. I met Puzzles, Spidey, and Magic at a shelter in Pennsylvania. That day I'd been visited by a friend and had to make an incredibly unique act of climbing up halfway on a mountain, being driven around to the other side so I can hike back up to the spot we left off, hike back down the other side, and continue on. It's something of a comedy, them having seen me pass three separate occasions. I remember Puzzles confronting me when I stopped at the shelter to use the privy. She said something to the effect of, What the hell are you doing? Training to hike Mount Everest or something? I remembered that because I found it funny, and had never been so effectively jeered at to that point of the trail. She had a way of calling to light the ridiculousness of what we were doing, through hiking and all. Magic was, in most ways, a cowboy. Literally, he was a young owner of a dairy farm just about 45 minutes south of where I grew up in Cleveland. Ohio literally, by the way, is everywhere on the AT. I theorize that of every five people you meet, three will be from Ohio, one will probably be from Germany, and one out of five represent every single other place in the world. Seriously, I met a guy from California, and it was way more shocking than the German and Australian folks that he was hiking with. If America is a melting pot, Ohio is definitely the pot. Spidey was one of the most comical and passive people I've ever met, probably because of his Alabama upbringing. This guy could hike 100 miles a day, it seems, due partly to the fact that his pack weighed about the same as a box of tissue paper. He was our uh, resident ultralighter. We soon met up with NASCAR, a gentleman with a big bushy gray beard, a foul mouth and a love of monster energy drinks, and quickly became one of my favorite people. Not to mention one of the most athletic hikers I'd ever meet. He truly demonstrated that there's no difference in age between hikers, just the amount of caffeine it takes to haul ass up some mountains. Among our members was also Wolverine. He was easily the quickest hiker I met on the trail, and could shred miles, but preferred to make the most of his experience and hung around our group instead of leaving us in his dust. His trail name was chosen because of his hat and alma mater, the Michigan Wolverines. Over hills in Massachusetts and Vermont we went, until we reached the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Easily the biggest test for the whole group to that point. Mount Washington, for example, plays host to the highest wind speed recorded on Earth, well over 200 miles per hour. The day we climbed it, it was in the 50s and sunny with very little wind. We lucked out and could look over the trail in front and behind us for 50 miles in every direction. We knocked out the Presidential Traverse in one day. That's the day I knew that I was definitely in the group that I'd finish the trail with. Great people, great pace. You really do find your trail family if you just wait for them. We'd see some hardships ahead, though. I remember four straight days of thunderstorms in Maine that led to some knee-deep-in-mud scenarios. It sucked, really bad. But we kept hiking, got separated, feelings were hurt, apologies were made. It was really an accelerated form of a relationship that takes years to build in the real world as we call it the real world a place where there are routines and meetings and insurance payments and everything seems to exist to make things easier for the right price miles seem insignificant and inconsequential and here a person is only their ability to get from here to there strength is literal power is incredibly subjective and cool is just that time an hour after the sun goes down. Georgia was scary, North Carolina was massive, Virginia never ended, there were rocks, dehydration, loneliness, and fatigue, but none of that even compared to the real world. That idea kept creeping into my head as I made my way through southern Maine of what I had to go back to. The whole journey probably shouldn't have happened. I didn't have the funds for this. Through raising money and saving what little I could, I amassed about $2,500 to carry me for my projected five months on the trail. That's actually about half of what most strew hikers spend on the journey. I thought, I'm getting out there. All I gotta do is hike. What could I possibly spend money on? That would have been an easy thing to do if I had remained the same self I was before the trail while I was on it. Since those months out there, I have had years, some of the hardest years of my life, to ruminate on who I was at the start. And who I was after. I thought the money would last because, as it turns out, I was scared. When people are scared, they run away. They invent reasons to distance themselves from others, seal themselves up emotionally and literally in homes many thousands of times larger than my tiny little tent. They invent images of themselves and make sure their Instagram photos are all on brand. Gadget was a moniker that I came to hate in the coming years. Working at an outfitter, I was dealt the torturous task of recounting the AT almost every single day. At first it was great, I felt like a savant. Some of the best people I've ever met came from hours of convincing folks to tackle their dreams and definitely wear trail runners instead of boots. Slowly, though, a feeling crept in that this thing, the moment I decided to put my life on hold, quit my job, live off of all my savings, was not the defining moment in my life. It was my entire life it was the only thing I dared to talk about. As if Josh and Gadget were separate beings and that I'd always be chasing the feeling out there. Gadget allowed me, for the first time in my life, to be cool. To hike farther, to wake up each day with a sense of purpose. To make friends and believe that they wanted me around. To talk to women and to overwhelmingly live on the edge of a knife, unafraid of falling because this vast cushion of notoriety would catch me. All that mattered was that in a world of billions, I wanted as many as possible to know my name. Maybe that would help somehow, cure my anxiety and depression, make me rich or approachable or universally liked. I wanted to be Gadget all the time. But the real world was full of debt, of sadness, and all those days in between where nothing really happens and you never really move. I woke up just about ten miles south of the end of the 100-mile wilderness. I wasn't alone. I wasn't sad. I camped on the shores of the bluest, clearest lake I had ever seen and had fallen asleep to a night sky full of stars. My friends were there with me. Magic, Spidey, puzzles, and a few others we'd picked up along the way. NASCAR had fallen back, and we weren't sure we'd ever see him again. We would hike for hours and be kids and best friends, invent accents and characters, stop at every chance for a burger and a beer. But then we saw it. On the rocky shores of another lake, whose name I'd forgotten, we see this vast mountain pop up from beyond the trees. Katahdin. It's easy to see why native peoples loved and respected this mountain. 5,000 feet of verticality, it stands alone, with none of the nearby mountains rivaling it. It all began to sink in. Our final days were spent enjoying a natural rock waterslide and relaxing. I don't recall feeling a single step on those last few days. Inching closer to the biggest accomplishment of my life, I felt the same thing I felt whenever someone has congratulated me for doing something great. Nothing. It may have been from listening too closely to my coaches in my years as a Midwest football and baseball player. Never be cocky. Don't show any emotion until the time is right. Don't let anything get to your head. Blah, blah, blah. Why couldn't I let myself enjoy this like I should? Why does every accomplishment have to be followed by the worry of this won't last, or what comes next. I started up the mountain with Wolverine. That lasted all of about mm, 45 minutes. The guy is a literal monster and shreds mountains for breakfast. Magic and I decided to hang together instead, and it's good we did. Katahdin is a beast, even for those with 2,000 miles already in their legs. At a certain elevation, you pop up into a desolate moonscape. The next mile is walking upon a plateau of rock and delicate mosses. The day was smoky, and we spent that mile in the cloud until we saw it. The sign. As a reoccurring joke, and to let tourists know the significance of the place they are on the Appalachian Trail, Katahdin's sign has a few helpful trail markers and distances, and the last arrows point south and specifies that Springer Mountain is thousands of miles away. This was it. I touched the sign, and there I was. Josh. On a mountaintop seemingly watching Gadget start walking back towards Springer for a second go at it. That's something the crazy bastard would do. The Appalachian Trail is a stretch of dirt, meandering over every single mountaintop between Georgia and Maine. It's steeped in history, love, drama, and magic. It's the single most wonderful thing I've done in my life, and it's taken me years to learn that that's exactly what it was. For many, the trail never ends. With money, health and limited obligations, you can and will go attempt another through hike. Often, folks who start the AT will then attempt the Pacific Crest Trail and round out their triple crown of hiking by completing the Continental Divide Trail that traverses the entirety of the Rocky Mountains in the lower 48 states. Others, like myself, find that the adventure created a spark within them. That spark really burns and hurts sometimes, but you can never put it out for the rest of your life. I turned my experience into an appreciation for others it's been my mission and a sense of purpose since the trail to inspire people to get out there and to hike and to enjoy the healing aspects of nature to find a sense of purpose in the mountains because although they'll never take it easy on you a mountain doesn't do a credit check before you climb it be safe be knowledgeable but past that put fear aside you can do it i've had men talk to me that aspire to do the trail who after we've spoken have a bit more appreciation for the tenacity of snowflakes like me who are open about their mental health. One of my favorite interactions was a teacher who was retired and couldn't find purpose. He felt like the AT was the biggest thing he'd ever do. I reminded him that all of his students' lives were forever changed by him and that he's already achieved greatness. The AT is now just the next thing. He had a good cry right there by the tents and the sleeping pads in the shop. (laughs) My most touching moment of all, though, was helping a young woman find, on a map, a spot where a relative passed away suddenly from a heart attack. When I came upon the spot on the trail, I stopped and I thought about him. In some cosmic act of karma and fate, years later a man told me his brother-in-law passed away on the AT doing what he loved. I asked if it happened to be beauty spot. It was. We had a long conversation with some tears, this time, appropriately, by the rain jackets. The biggest thing the Appalachian Trail taught me was to dive into yourself and know your worth. I spent some years searching, but eventually found peace and a whole new set of dreams and ambitions by meeting my partner, Hannah. She's an adventure seeker herself, and we met through messaging. She contacted me while in the AT, uh, leading with some silly question about sleeping bags, and I finally caught on about a year later, as is my style. We live in a small apartment in Cleveland, Ohio, and love our lives. We regularly take micro-adventures. A paddle in Lake Erie, a backpacking trip to a state park close by, and occasionally driving six hours in the middle of the night to hit up some of our favorite backpacking spots. Life is good right now. I wear the AT like a piece of jewelry. Something I wear because I'm proud of it, but I can forget about it, and I can take it off. I now feel like I'm part of its history. And it was hard tracking him down, but Gadget and I are back together. He's reminded me that we never really left or parted on katahdin he's there any time i feel like i'm exactly where i should be at that moment right now he's here right here where i'm comfortable and happy that's good enough for me for a little while gadget here magic spidey puzzles and wolverine in what may be my very last little video log we are a knife's edge on the opposite side of the baxter peak in katahd and, uh, as you can see, it's, uh, kind of a nice view. Nothing over there, but just because the clouds are moving in. So, yeah, we did it. Uh, 2,189.1 miles this year. And, uh, see, wow, it's over. So we're going to head on down, uh, another trail, and we're uh, going to Millinocket tonight. And move our, move, we have some dark beers, and. Make our way back to uh, Ohio over the course of about a week.
1: Oh. This podcast has been presented by the Cleveland Outpost. You can find out more about us at clevelandoutpost.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you can see previews of episodes to come and join in our community. If you have questions, comments, concerns, funny jokes, we want to hear from you. Please send them our way to contact at clevelandoutpost.com. Again, that's contact at clevelandoutpost.com.
0: I'm not the only